It's been fun. It's been a nice time together, and we've looked at some uh, stuff that, as Alan said, I think we need as the church to be challenged about. We, we started on Friday night looking at what we call a worldview, and the fact that our worldview determines our faith, because it, you, you will... You, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And so whatever it is that we see in our, in our if you like, our mind's eye or through the eyes of the soul, those are the things we're going to hope for. Those are the things we're going to expect. And very often, we settle for less than what God intended. Because instead of seeing through His eyes what He has in store for us, we see through the eyes that we've been trained to use, the eyes of a worldview, the eyes of a culture, the eyes of a, um, uh, you know, what your mom said you are, or the eyes of uh, the, the, the way you were educated at school. And, and, and these things limit us. And so we needed to have um, a, a fresh look at what does God say about your reality? And that we spoke about the fact that repentance and the new birth and, and thirdly the renewing of our mind all have the agenda or the purpose of changing the way you look. Um, Jesus came into the world with a very different point of view. He, not only did he have a different point of view about the world, he had a different point of view about the end of the world, the the future, and, and what he came to do was to bring the end of the world into view. He came to take the age to come and make it visible in the form of, of, of miracles, signs and wonders and healings and deliverances and resurrections of the dead and um, all of that exciting stuff that he did. He, he was really saying, guys, the, the things you see in front of you are not the ultimate reality. And so we spoke about understanding not only that, um, that his view of the world is different, his view of you and me is different than the way you have been trained to think of yourself. So I, said, I thought this morning as I was preparing this and praying through it uh, the, that the Lord wants to say to us, we need not only a different worldview, we need a different church view. We need a different view of what this thing called church is. Because most of us have, again, our training, our upbringing, and the models that we've seen around us of church um, are that church is for us. Church is for us to, you know, be cared for and pastored and blessed and, uh, you know, born and uh, christened and married and buried and it's the hatch match and dispatch store and uh and uh, and churches for pastors to look after people who really are see themselves very often as um the audience or the um the club members that need to be satisfied that i've paid my dues and so now deliver to me the benefits of membership. I know that that's not true of Sarepta. I'm talking about other churches. <laughs> so what we re- recognized, let, let me sum it up in the, in the picture that the Bible presents of how God interacts with his world. We, we talked about the fact that heaven is in the same room as we are all the time. We live between two realities, heaven and earth. The age to come and the present, the present evil age, that Paul, as Paul called it. We live in that tension between the ages. And what has happened throughout history is that the Trinity, what John of Damascus called the perichoresis, the, the dance of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in an intertwined, impenetrable Embrace has danced its way through history. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have, every so often, there's a touchdown. The pillar, the thing that looked like a pillar of fire to Moses and the people of Israel, uh, or a pillar of cloud, was the dance. It was the whirlwind. It was the tornado of God's presence. And every so often, he would touch down and say, I think we'll stay here for a while. And when that happened, someone was in trouble. When I say trouble, I mean their plans would have been messed up. Moses was quite happy to be a boyki in Egypt's court. He was, he was quite happy to be, uh, you know, a prince, a, a princeling. And, uh, and then God landed on a bush and said, uh, Moshe, I've got a plan for you. <laughs> and Moshe said, Oy vey. <laughs> and that was the end of his plan. And the beginning of God's. And it, there was trouble. Okay, there's trouble. Every time God lands on you, there will be trouble. There will be messiness. God is not about confirming our comforts and our ways of, of being and our ways of thinking. God is about... The, the lion picture is pretty good. He's not safe. He's not safe. He, he, he's, he's designed the way he is designed um, with, with intent, with purpose. So, every so often what happened is that the dance of the Trinity captured someone. So you were dancing here this morning. Think about when God, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are dancing their way through history and every so often they go, hey, come and join us. And pull us in. And so what happens is you get drawn into this thing and the, and the steps of the dance. Let me explain to you beforehand, before you get involved, just so that you know. The steps of the dance are twofold. Come and go. I say it in Greek. Ela, pame. Ela, pame. Come, go. Come here, go. Come here, let me whisper to you how wonderful you are and how much I love you and I embrace you and you're special to me and you have got everything you need to make an impact of the world. Now go and make something of that life. God speaks the reality of a new identity into your ear and then he releases you on the world. And what a lot of us do is we go, oh, that was so nice when he was embracing me. Let me have more of that. He's going, hey, go. You've got it with you. It's in you. It's with you. Go, go, go. We say, no, no, I want to come back home. I want to come back home. We're like, we're like kids who have gone to be sent out of the house and we're going, mom's food was always nicer. I want to go home. You see, the reality that we need to understand about ourselves and about church. In fact, I've rethought the title of this whole weekend's conference. So you need to scratch out what you had at the top of the notes that said, learning to minister like Jesus, because it really should say this. Jesus' ministry continues, but now through you. Jesus has never stopped ministering. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has never suspended his mission while he waits for us to catch up. He is continuing, and every so often, someone hears and someone gets messed up and drawn into the dance, and that someone today is all of y'all. All of y'all. Joe, Joe knows the meaning of that. All of y'all. Y'all come. you you see, every time, not every time, most of the times that the personal pronoun you is used in the New Testament, it is plural. It's talking about y'all. So, that was a long introduction. 1 Corinthians 6.17, Paul says, But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. One spirit with him. It's like your spirit becomes intertwined and bound together with God's Spirit to the point where what's going to start to happen to you once you've hang, uh, kind of uh, 
crashed, collided with, with the Trinity, what's going to start to happen to you is that you're suddenly going to find different feelings going on in your heart than you had before. I knew, and it was a bit irritating, but I knew the day after I gave my life to Jesus, I prayed the, I prayed the atheist's prayer. I think I've told you the guys the story before. The, the, the prayer that C.S. Lewis called, when he prayed it, he calls it in his book, Check. And the following chapter is Checkmate. And, it, and, the, and the prayer goes like this. God, I don't believe in you, but if you're there... Here I am. <laughs> Reminds me of a little story about a um, professor in a philosophy class at a college in the United States. And he, was, he started out his uh, lectures that morning and he said, I, I want to uh, tell you before we start this class, I, I am an atheist. And he said, and I don't want anyone telling me anything about God. He said, and in fact... What I'm going to do, I'm going to prove to you today that God does not exist. And so he stood on the platform and he said the same thing. He said, if there is a God, strike me down now. And he stood like that, closed his eyes. And there was a Marine in the back of the class. And while the, 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 the professor said, I'm going to wait two minutes. I'm giving God two minutes to prove himself. The Marine got up walked up to the uh, platform, got up on the platform, punched the professor in between the eyes, knocked him to the ground. His glasses were broken and all over the floor. And the professor, his nose was bleeding. And he was, what, what did you do that for? He said, God was busy. He sent me. <laughs> now, I don't... I'm not, by telling that story, I'm not encouraging you to go punch people in the name of the Lord, okay? But, but it illustrates the point. It illustrates a different point, but I, I, so let me get back to the other point, which was this. I prayed the prayer, and the next day, I woke up, I who was starting to be a vet, because the more I saw of people, the better I liked my dog. And I woke up the next morning and I had fallen in love with people. It's very irritating for a, a comfortable atheist, you know? A comfortable athe antisocial atheist. Terrible, I mean, messing up. Talk about messing up. God will change the way you feel and He will change the way you think. There is a mind-altering presence in the room. So watch out. Breathe too deeply and you're going to start thinking different. Breathe too deeply and you're going to start loving people that you're trained to despise. Breathe too deeply and you're going to find yourself having a totally different agenda for getting up in the morning and going to work and doing stuff and earning money and paying your money. You're going to have a different agenda. It's going to affect your loyalties. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You will start to think and feel and act more and more like God. Jesus said it like this. Truly, I, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will even do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I'm, uh, this is not a seminar about prayer, and I, I don't want to unpack that scripture in too much detail, except to say the words, in my name, mean a lot more than tagging on a thing at the end of a prayer that you prayed. Your own prayer. When we pray in His name, it actually means under my authority and under my instruction. As John says it in another place, if we ask anything according to His will, He will do it. We'll finish up with a text that tells us more about that, but there, this is just um, all still the introduction. So, I want us to think a little bit about how Jesus lived his life. Because, again, let me explain where we finished up yesterday in the little 
short little seminar that we did, is this. Jesus continues to live his life. Jesus is still here. Where is Jesus now? You say he's in heaven. He's actually here. At the same time as he's in heaven. At the same time as he is everywhere. He is here. He, he is here in the sense that, uh, 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 in the sense of God's omnipresence. But he's also here with a specific intention and agenda for every time we, in, we intersect with him. He is also, his presence is also intensified. Melaine said it yesterday. His presence is intensified by the fact that you showed up. Where two or three are gathered together under my authority and in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Christ in the midst of you is the hope of glory, says Paul. And so we live in a, in a constant uh, inter, interplay between the Christ who is in heaven and the Christ who is among us and the Christ who is in us. And our job is to make sure that all of those connect, all of those manifestations of Jesus connect. That's the job of the church. And so Jesus lived a life oriented to, to heaven. In the great high priestly prayer, I'm using scriptures from John because one of the things that is interesting about John's gospel, John's version of the story of Jesus, is that he constantly refers to this relationship the relationship between Jesus and his Father, the relationship between Jesus and his followers, the, the constant assurance that uh, this is going to be a partnership from here forward, that I'm going to be in you and you're going to be in me and I'm going to embrace you in the, in, in, as the Father has embraced me and you're going to be one with me just as I am one with my Father and the works that I do you will do also. The thoughts that I think you're going to think as well. And the ways that, the things that I see, I'm going to open your eyes to see them. So here in the great high priestly prayer, at the end of the long sermon of John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus prays this prayer and he says this, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, Father, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. You see what I mean about... It's upsetting. There you were thinking that your purpose for being here was to live life, get a good education, get married, have babies, you know, pay for their education, uh, and, then, um, and then, you know, invest in whatever it is that you need to invest in, including property, so that you can have a place to live until you die, right? And then you're going to go to heaven, Right? If you believe in Jesus, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that cool? That's a cool thing, hey? It's nice to know that our fire insurance is paid up. We go to heaven when we die. <laughs> That's lovely. And God said, and on the way there? On the way there? What do you think you're doing with this life? What you are is an ambassador and a representative of heaven while you live this life on earth. And it's not about you. I, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. It's not about your investments. It's not about guaranteeing your future. It's not about making sure that there's bread on the table. God says, listen, just walk with me. I'll take care of that stuff. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. So quit worrying, for goodness sake. Because, you see, when, you've got, when you're worrying, it means you've got your attention on those things you're worrying about. And out of the, th the things that we, that we treasure, the things that we focus on, is going to determine our agenda. It's going to determine our activities. It's going to consume your energies. So God is saying, Jesus is saying here, I'm just wanting you, Father, to remind them that it's not about them and it's not about here and now and it's not about this world. It's about something very different. Make them holy by your truth. In other words, let 
your words and your thoughts, let those, let those form the way they think about themselves. When it says holy, it means to be separated, to be enclosed, to be centered in the person of God. We, we, we say holy means that you don't gamble, smoke and chew and mix with those bad girls who do. That's, that's holy. That's what holy is, right? Holy people are people who don't. Who don't. In fact, you can replace a whole year's worth of Bible studies with just the word don't. In terms of some people's understanding of holiness. Holy is never used without a um, conjunctive. And, and, and it's got to do with holy to. Holy means separated and enclosed and embraced and centered in and to someone. Holy to the Lord, that's what we are. You're holy to the Lord. In other words, you're busted. <laughs> in other words, that other thing that you said, I'm going to, I'm going to my agenda, I'm going to my career, I'm going to my success story, I'm going to... Um, you know, satisfaction and floating to heaven on an inner spring mattress drinking Coca-Cola and with, uh, you know, first prize and all the things I enter. That's what I'm going to. That's what my aim. That's my goal. God says, no, come here, come here, Ella. And he embraces you and he says, this is what you were born to. This is what I ran you down to become. Make them holy by your truth. Shape them, says Jesus, by the way you think, Father. Teach them your word, which is truth. Make them holy by your truth. And so, this is where we start. So Jesus would start every day reminding himself, I'm not here with the agenda of this world, but I come, Father, before you so that you may share with me your thoughts. Put your thoughts into my mind that I may think the thoughts of God. Put your words in my mouth that I may speak the words of God. And we're not talking about preaching sermons and being theological. We're talking here about those little moments when God would say, uh, Zacchaeus. Come here. I'm coming to your house. I want to come to your house. Why? Because I'm bringing the kingdom of God into a, the home of a man, into the family of a man who has felt rejected by everyone because of his own wrong choices. And I'm here to say to you, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to give you life. The kingdom of God has come to this house today. You see, that's an example. I can, we can pick millions of them. We can pick an example of Jesus saying, today I, I, I want to go back from Galilee, back to Jerusalem, but, and I'm going, to do, I'm going to go against the culture. Because the culture said, you don't walk through Samaria, especially if you're on your way to the temple, because that will make you unclean. So what you do is, you cross the Jordan at Pella, you go down through the other uh, on the other side, and then you cross the Jordan back again at Jericho so that you don't, your feet don't touch unclean soil. You don't run into any Samaritans, thereby rendering you unclean so that you can't go to the temple when you get to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus goes, this morning, I'm going back to Jerusalem and I'm going slap dab through the middle of Samaria. And he's going, uh, okay, is that, that, that's what the father was telling him. Well, I don't know if he looked up, but he, you know what I mean. Okay, so the father puts the thought. Jesus walks through Samaria. At noon, he's hungry, he's tired, and he's thirsty. And he sits by a well, but he hasn't got a bucket. And the father said, all of this is my plan, boy. This is all my plan. Because check, there comes a chick. <laughs> and she happens to be a Samaritan. And Jesus says, would you like, can you please draw some water for me? 
Now, I don't know at what point Jesus knew that the conversation was going to go the way the conversation went. I think maybe, like us, he had the beginnings of the conversation. And like the father, like I described yesterday, sometimes the Lord gives you three words and he says, speak those and I'll give you the rest. And you go, now, give me the rest and I'll speak those. And you say, he says, no, speak those and I'll give you the rest. I don't share all my thoughts with you up front because you'll probably mess them up. You'll probably do an interpretation of them and you'll give them. You'll mess them up. So anyway, you know the story. The, the result of that was the salvation of an entire village. An entire town called Sikar, which later became the center of another revival in the early church. She was the landing point and Jesus was told that morning, I've got an appointment for you. Now, why do I say all of this? Because when you get up in the morning, your job, your purpose, your, the, 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 the right thing to do is to orientate yourself also toward heaven and say, here I am, Lord. I'm here to do your will today. So will you, put, will you start putting some of your thoughts into my brain? I've got so many things to think about, and the children, and the, and the dogs, and the cats, and the monkeys, and the, and, the, and, the, and the traffic, and the taxis, and the thing, and the job, and the things I've got to do, and that deadline, and, and the money, and the burn, and the grocery shopping, and the thing, and I've got that doctor's appointment, and I'm a bit worried, and the, That probably doesn't happen here, right, in Hillcrest. Because, I mean, like, where do people in Hillcrest go to get away from it all? Where does a forest ranger go to get away from it all? <laughs> okay, where was I? So, Jesus started his day saying to the Father, Give me your thoughts, put your words in my mouth, and send me forth. That's our job as well. Jesus is continuing his ministry today and he wants to do it through you. But very often, in, in my mind, your mind, too often, he can't get a word in edgeways because we're not taking time to orient ourselves toward heaven. To stop and think, what has the Father got on his agenda for you today? So this leads us to the second point. Second of three, you'll be glad to hear we're nearly, nearly there, halfway. <laughs> Jesus was sent. He didn't go, he was sent. He was on a mission. As the Father has sent me, he said, in one place, so I'm sending you. And in the, in the continuation of the prayer, he says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them, so that they can be made holy. I am sending them. Ella, Pame, come, go. Come, go, come. I love you, go. Come, I love you, go. Um, I read um, Tim Keller. Tim Keller this week actually said this, the same thing. I thought he stole it from me because I said it at the Columbus conference last year. There is no come without go. God never calls us to come without having this little secret agenda. You need to understand, every invitation from God is a setup. God is looking for workers. He's looking for representatives. He's looking for, a, for agents of the kingdom. So when you came, I, I think I've also said this to you guys before, but Matthew... Matthew eleven twenty eight, one of the favorite verses of most Christians, because it tells us again about how this is all about us. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Did you read this, the next verse? I mean, talk about a setup. Talking about, talking about um, a soft cell. This is a soft cell. Jesus says, Come to me. Now, you must, 
recognize the context. The context is Jesus is ministering to a whole big group of people and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he says, come to me, all you who labor on a heavy laden and I will give you rest. Learn from me, listen to me, and I will give you rest uh, uh, for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. Hold on. What did you just say about rest? Did you think you were going to get a holiday when you came to Jesus? What you were going to get is a job. But restful job. A restful job, why? Because the energy is all his and the, and the benefits are all yours. Isn't that cool? That's a nice job. You get the pay, he does the work. He does the work, you get the pay. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly in spirit and you will find rest for your souls. While you're pulling the cart, you and me together, yoked like a couple of oxen, pulling the cart. And you're going, my legs are not strong enough. And he says, don't worry, use mine. You say, but I don't believe enough. He says, don't worry, I believe for both of us. You say, but I can't love. And he says, don't worry. I've got love for the whole world. So don't worry. Just have some of mine. That's what he means when he says, learn from me. Take from me. And you will find rest for your souls. This thing is not dependent on you. But it is dependent in your life. It is dependent on your cooperation with him. Just as you sent me, so I am sending them. Now, I want to just say a couple of quick things about sentness. And this may upset some of you. I believe that not a single person is here by accident. Psalm 139 is quite clear about this, right? While I was being knitted together in my mother's womb, Lord, you were writing my story. You were not born in this time, in this place, in this country, (laughs) in this moment in history, by accident. It was all planned before you were even born. Now that may sound terribly Calvinistic, but I don't care. I just want you to know. I believe that God is sovereign about your times. Your times are in His hands. I believe God is sovereign about your place. And so don't leave South Africa unless God tells you to. Because the most miserable person on the earth is a person living in paradise out of the will of God. doesn't matter where you are. If you're out of the will of God, you will be miserable. You will. Because that spirit that is in you will yearn for cohesion and cooperation with God. So, you are not only sent into this world at this time and being in this place, but you're also sent daily. Every day when you get up in the morning and your feet hit the floor, you have a mission. The Lord said, you think that the fact that you're a teacher was just a choice that you made because it suited your personality and, you know, your mom was one and so so you just thought... Well, that's the, and I, you, you feel good being a teacher, and the kids like you, and you like them, and it's the pay's okay, and, uh, and so on. You think, you think that's the reason why you're a teacher? I had an agenda before you were born that there, was, that there, there were these uh, 30 children, and these 30 children needed someone to be an ambassador of heaven in their lives. Because some of them do not have parents who are going to represent heaven to them. And so I designed you and I wrote your story and I planned that the paths would mix and cross and be in exactly the right place at the right time so that you would be my representative of heaven to those 30 children. That's why you're a teacher. And others go, well, yeah, that's okay for teachers because they're dealing with kids. But I'm an engineer. I deal with steel structure. And the Lord said, and you think that that was an accident? 
You think that it's just because you're smart and you did well at maths and science and physics and whatever. And, uh, and so, you know, you, and your parents could afford to send you to university so that you could study to be an engineer. And, you know, you like the money and the people, okay, but you don't have to deal too much with people. But there's one person that while you were being fashioned in your mother's womb, I had an appointment with that person. It was in 2013, and that person was going to become the manager of this engineering firm, and they were going to be there just at a time when their life was falling apart, and his wife had walked out on him, and he was struggling financially, and he'd got into trouble with, with, uh, with, with addictions, and, and so I thought, eh. On the 24th of March, 2013, I've got to have someone in that office who can be an ambassador of heaven. And so that's why I sent you to university so that you could become an engineer, so that you could work for that firm, so that you could be there on the 24th of March, 2013, as a divine appointment with a man who would have ended his life if you weren't there. You're sent daily. You're sent daily. Do not get up in the morning and think that life is just about drudgery. Life is an exciting mission under the instruction of the Trinity, filled with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus whispering in your ear all the time. Okay, come on, just another few steps. Come on, let's do this. We can do this. And you know, at the end of a day like that, you will feel a satisfaction you will feel a rest for your soul that nothing can match. Understand this, people. Every person you meet is, a, is potentially a divine appointment. Whether it's the person waiting on your table, whether it's the person filling your petrol tank, whether it's someone you walk past in the street, whether it's someone you sit across the, the room from, the office from, whether it's someone standing in front of you in the supermarket queue, every single person you meet, potentially, the reason why you're meeting them, the reason why they're crossing your path, may very well be the Lord saying, you know, like that Samaritan woman, this is the same thing for you. Who are you going to meet at the drinking fountain? Who are you going to meet at the tea table today, tomorrow, on Thursday? And those of you who are not going to work anymore, don't think that that means that you've retired from this. You have not retired. You do not retire from ministry. You do not retire from the mission. This is one job that you get carried out feet first. <laughs> People keep talking to me about, when are you going to retire? I say... There are some things I would like to lay down, but I also know this. I'm going to be doing ministry until the last breath comes out of my mouth. Well, not because I want to, but because he ran me down. And woe is me if I do not, <laughs> if I do, not do this thing. But I'm not special. It should be exactly the same for all of you. And so Jesus was sent to do the works of God. So we talked about that in the seminar. Thinking the thoughts, speaking the words, doing the works. And it usually goes in that sequence. You think the thought, and I know what most of us do. You think the thought and you say, nah, not me. You think the thought and you say, no, but they're probably going to have a question and I won't have the answer and then I'm going to be very embarrassed. <laughs> you think the thought and then you say, I must call Alan to come and talk to this person. <laughs> I know you. I know what happens in your head. And Alan's in America, yeah. So, uh, when you think the thought, do this little risky thing. Speak the words. Say to someone, and, and you can speak the words not in a, you know, Oh, so authoritative way. You can speak the words like, like this. Um, I've just been thinking this, and you, tell me if I'm wrong. 
but I have a sense that you're feeling very sad today. Uh, is that right? And when they go like this, then you go, whoa, I may be onto something here. And the more you do it, the more you trust, you learn to trust that voice. But that was yesterday's lesson, so I'm not going to repeat it. Because it ends with these words. Here's, here's the question that it ends, that the speaking of the words ends with. May I pray for you right now? Seven words. They're not hard to memorize. I want you to all memorize these seven. May I pray for you right now? <clears throat> and that leads us to the final point. You see, Jesus was not only oriented to heaven, he was not only oriented from heaven and sent to the world, but he was also sent to good purpose. To good purpose. I had a conversation with someone on Friday night. Um, no, no, was it Friday night? No, it was last week. It was somewhere else. Anyway, the, the, the conversation went like this. But you see, when it comes to the, to the living in the world and being this thing, uh, we were talking about a different subject, but he, uh, I was talking about all of us are called and so on, just what I said a little bit about a moment ago. And, and so he said, but you see, like, like when I'm there and I've got, to, I've got to confront, I've got to confront their, their evil things and their sin and their... I'm going, no, no. God didn't say go into the world to judge the world. What he said is go into the world and bless the world. So Jesus said this about himself, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. To bring good into their lives. And the rest of the Gospel of John tells us how he did that. And of course, another signal verse in John 10 verse 10, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. We could add judge, condemn, accuse, mess up, disintegrate. But I have come in order that you may have life. Life in all its fullness. We talked yesterday about the gifts of the Spirit. This is where the gifts of the Spirit are the, the, the currency in which you pay, you bless, you put into people's pockets the benefits of heaven. That's what spiritual gifts are. Jesus not only exercised those spiritual gifts, he summed them up in himself. So, for example, where we say, you know, it would be nice to have a word of wisdom, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We say it would be nice to have, you know, a word of knowledge and bring truth or a prophecy into someone's life. Jesus said, I am the living bread. So he summed it all up in himself. He was... The light, he was the bread, he was the good shepherd, he was the way, the truth, and the life. He was the stream of living water, he was the well of water welling up to eternal life. And so, in our lives, in your mission in the morning, if you hear something that you know, makes you irritable with the world, you need to understand that's you, that's not the Lord. The Lord is not irritated with his world. God is not mad. He's not an old man with a big baseball bat looking for somebody to smash. That's the picture that a lot of people have of him. God is good and he wants to bless his world and he wants to put the blessings in your hand and he will put more blessings in your hand if you are trustworthy with the little bit that he gives you to start with. So pass it on and wait for more. Pass it on and wait for more. You want to... Anybody in this office you want to bless today, Lord? And he says, yes, that lady over there, she's having trouble with her sugar levels. Go and pray for her. Pass it on, wait for more. The next thing, you've got a tent and you've got an international <laughs> healing ministry. <laughs> Your own TV program. So finally... Brethren and sistren.
These sum it up. At, right at the end of it all, Jesus breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Then he, he says, Go into the world with this forgiveness. If you, I love, this is Eugene Peterson's rendering of the verse. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. <clears throat> Put that in your Protestant pipe and smoke it. If you, listen, if you do not forgive them, who will? Isn't that beautiful? If you do not speak peace to the condemned, the self-condemned heart, who will? If you do not go and say to someone, you know that burden of guilt that you're bearing, I have great news for you. It can be taken away right now. If you don't say that, who will? Everybody else is looking for vengeance. Jesus is extending mercy. And he's doing it through you. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will place their hands on sick people. And they will get well. Get mad at the demons. Get mad at the injustice. Don't get mad at the people. Thinking the thoughts of God. Speaking the words of God. Doing the works of God. That is your mission. And here's the deal. It's not your mission, it's Jesus' continued mission. Jesus is continuing in mission and he's saying, want to play? Want to play? Let's stand. I felt yesterday when we were thinking about this morning that the Lord wants to Specifically, there's two things I think he wants to do. The first is he wants to empower those of you who have grown weary in well-doing. He wants to refresh his power in you. He wants to remind you, this is my work, and all I need is your body, your cooperation. So will you present your body again as a living sacrifice? Will you put yourself in my hands and let me, let me breathe new, fresh energy into you? So that's the first thing. If you feel like you're, you're tired and you feel like you're uh, weak, then I think the Lord has refilling in store for you today. The second thing that he wants to do, because it is an Ella Pame thing, it is come, come, be filled. And then he wants to heal people today. And... Uh, and here's the, um, the good bad news. The good bad news is he wants to heal people today and he wants to do it through you. And he's putting presents. He's going to put presents for people that are sick, for people that are in pain. He's going to put the presents in your hands. And your job is pass it on and wait for more. So Jesus told us when we enter a house to say peace to this house. I say shalom to this house. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, shalom, 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 shalom to everyone in the house. The goodness of God, the favor of the Lord be upon you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, come, come and fill you. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God, the age to come is here. It's here at your fingertips. You can receive it. And so I want you to get into a place of receiving. Receive. Receive the kingdom of God. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Breathe in His love. Breathe in His peace. Breathe in His joy. Breathe in His power. Breathe in His gentleness. Breathe in His goodness. Breathe in the character that the Holy Spirit represents and expresses the character of God. Breathe it in. You say, I can't forgive anymore. The Lord says, don't worry, I've got a lot of forgiveness here. Just breathe it in. I can't love that person anymore. The Lord says, I am love. God is love. Let me shed abroad my love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Breathe it in. Let love characterize everything that you do from here on. 
There are some of you that need to come to the end of fighting. Some of you are fighting. You're fighting for your rights. You're fighting for your opinion. You're fighting for your place. The Lord says, Hey, I came to love the world. I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. A ransom for many. And so I'm still doing that. And I want to do that through you. Some of you are saying, the suffering, the suffering, the suffering. It's disorientating me. It's pushing me away. Paul, when he was talking about his suffering, said, so I complete in my body the sufferings of Christ. That's what, that, he's chosen me for that purpose at this season of my life. And I want to let the fragrance of Christ come out of the suffering. Not my bitterness, but his fragrance. It's a, it's a whole different way of looking at yourself and your life. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, let God be glorified in your body and your spirit, which are his. They're God's. You are God's. You are not your own. Stop fighting. Stop resisting. Let it go. Father, I pray for a baptism of your love over this church. I want to pray that you would pour out freshness of love and ability to embrace one another, to cross every barrier, whether it's of barriers of opinion or personality, whether it's barriers of culture or age. I pray in the name of Jesus, let your love cover it all. Let your love drown it all, overwhelm it all. Overwhelm it all with the baptism of your love. In Jesus' name. Let, Lord, those of us who have, are having struggles in marriages and family relationships, I pray, let your love be the thing that takes us beyond our fences and into the place of shared harmony in you. Let it come. Let it come. Let it come. Those of you that need to just receive the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to hold out your hands and receive now, right now, in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and empower your people. Come and fill, fill your people with your Spirit. Fill your people with your Spirit in the name of Jesus. Let it come. Let it come. Let it come. Every one of us, Lord, we are not operating out of our own strength, but your power. It is not by might, it is not by my strength, it is by your spirit that we can do what we have to do. So come and fill. Come and fill your people with your strength, with your passion, with your power, with your energy. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And if you feel like you want someone to bless that and, 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 uh, and pray with you, come to the front. There's space up front here. Yeah?